1: Before we begin, here's a special code that gets you a discount subscription to New Scientist. The code is POD20. Go to newscientist.com slash POD20 to subscribe and you get all the contents of the magazine plus audio versions of the stories to listen to on the app. newscientist.com slash POD20 gets you the 20% discount. Hello and Happy New Year and welcome to our first podcast of 2022. It's also the 100th episode of New Scientist Weekly.
2: Hurrah! Yes, thank you for making our show one of the most popular science podcasts in the world.
1: In the world and an award-winning show.
2: Indeed, award-winning and in the top 2% globally of podcasts by download number.
1: (laughs) Fantastic. All right, we'll stop patting ourselves on the back now. Um, let's kick off this first episode of the year with each of us looking at one science thing and one cultural thing that we're looking forward to for the year.
2: We should say that we're actually recording this at the end of 2021. So if we don't mention some major event that's happened, that's not because we're ignoring it. Normal weekly service will be resumed in next week's show. And with that said, let's introduce the panel. I'm Penny Sarchay.
1: And I'm Rowan Hooper. And joining us on this episode 100, we're delighted to welcome back erstwhile podcast host Tiffany O'Callaghan. Welcome Hi back, there. Tiff. <laughs> Hi.
3: Thank
1: you.
2: And the rest of the panel is rounded out by new scientists, journalists who've been regular guests on the show. We've got Adam Vaughan, Graham Lawton and Richard Webb. Welcome all. Happy New Year. Hello. Okay. Happy
1: New Year. Right, let's get going. Uh, we've got loads of stuff to get through and highlight. So I thought what we'd do is go around and get... Everyone on the on this round table to tell us something in the world of science that they're looking forward to in 2022 and something more cultural. It, it can have a science theme if you want, but we're quite relaxed about it. So to demonstrate, I'll go first. Something I'm looking forward to is the first launch to orbit for the SpaceX Starship. Um, that's the the rocket known used to be known as the BFR or the big big f- rocket, let's call it the BFR. It's the massive Saturn V scale rocket that Elon Musk is building to go to the Moon and to Mars.
2: The big caveat here being that the environmental review hasn't yet been signed off.
1: No, that's right. Um, If they get past that review, then SpaceX wants to make about a dozen launches this year and start operational flights to the Moon and Mars in 2023. Elon Musk says, and he would say this, but he says it has the potential to affect human destiny in a very profound way. How, how, how does it do that?
2: <laughs>
1: well, if it, it, he would say, you know, it makes us a multi-planet species uh, and it opens the door to the rest of the solar system exploration and stuff like that.
2: And what cultural highlight are you looking forward to this year?
1: Yeah, I'm going to just squeeze in two. Uh, first is Björk, uh, the Icelandic singer. She's performing at the Blue Dot Festival this summer. I can't wait to see her there. She's a total legend. And she does have a. This some science link here because, you know, she's very influenced by science and Blue Dot itself is a very, uh, you know, science friendly festival uh so Bjork. but also there's a film out of um the book the best selling book where the crawdads sing um that's a film of the book by Delia Owens it was uh, out in 2018 it was a massive bestseller it's about a girl growing up in the marshlands of North Carolina all on her own and uh the really cool thing about this was Delia Owens was a behavioral ecologist before she became a writer and her book is full of like really lovely observations of natural history Uh, including damselfly sperm competition which I did my PhD on so fantastic
4: (laughs) On on, uh, on Bjork or Bjork as I still think of her Rowan, uh, is she going to be playing her 90s stuff or is she going to do, do you remember that really weird album that had like no no, nothing, it was melodious, it was just like a weird moving soundscape Uh, please tell me she's not going to be playing that live Uh, Well I'm not privy to her decisions
1: (laughs) I thought you were close (laughs) I'd like to be yeah, actually I hope to get her on the podcast next year but uh, let's, let's not Jump the gun. Penny, what have you got?
2: Yeah, so um, maybe looking forward rather than looking forward to, Mm because someone ought to talk about coronavirus, I guess. Um, Obviously, the immediate story in the new year will be just how bad Omicron, uh, the Omicron wave is going to be. We don't know yet as we're recording this, it looks like it could be really bad indeed. But looking ahead across the year, I I think, you know, it's fair to say we can expect to just, the story is just going to be variant upon variant upon variant. It's just inevitable, really, given that the the virus is still circulating in such huge numbers. So there's ample opportunity for evolution. But we might start seeing some slightly different trends. So, so far, what we've we've tended to see is these more infectious variants like uh, Delta and probably Omicron coming in and sort of sweeping to dominance. But it's possible that in the year ahead, we could start seeing different variants coming out and coexisting or having regional variation. And this will all be really important for shaping what we do next with vaccines. So um, we're probably going to get more boosters, those of us in countries that can afford them. But it might start to be a bit more like a flu vaccination program. So uh, you could end up getting a shot that works against a a mixture of variants um, specific to the year that it is and and the, the region that you're in. In the UK, we've still got quite a lot of work to do. We've only just started vaccinating 12 to 15 year olds. Um, At the time we're recording this, we haven't even approved the vaccine for five to 11 year olds yet. And globally, globally, things are starting to look a bit better. So about 47% of the world is fully vaccinated, but that doesn't really include boosters. But only about 5% of people in low income countries are thought to have had one dose. So that's gonna be a huge push this year is, is to really start making some inroads on vaccine equity. But um, I, I, I guess the thing. Let, let's finish with this and then move on to some more exciting stuff. But um, it really, I can't see the pandemic ending this year. Um, there could be a sort of change of gear, and it, it's not going to be back to square one. But um, it's going to continue to be a huge story this year. Yeah.
4: On, on the Hopi on the hopey side, Penny, do you think do we think this year we're going to see much development on the sort of treatments front? I know you know at the end of. 2021 we've seen some recent news on that on on, you know the efficacy of stuff what do you think we might see this year yeah
2: and and I think that's one of the the big um, sources of hope really is that even if uh, new variants keep coming the the more we have better ways to treat it and it's really exciting the idea that we could sort of identify who are most likely to develop severe disease and then give them pills that they can take at home to stop that from happening I think those kinds of advances hopefully will start coming into their own in the new year so yeah massive fingers crossed for that
1: and what's your uh, cultural highlight, Penny?
2: Yeah, so um, I, I'm a news editor and a new mum in a pandemic, so I, I don't really know what culture is anymore. <laughs> um, but I am very much looking forward to, um, there's a new Band of Horses album coming out later this month. It's called Things Are Great, which I can only assume is sarcastic. Um, it's their first album uh, since 2016, uh, that last album soundtrack. Many a late night editing session for me, so I'm I'm really excited about that.
1: OK, let's change gear a bit. Adam, uh, what do you want to highlight for this year?
4: So my science thing is that I hope this will be the year that the world gets serious about our destruction of nature. Um, amazingly, um, you may not know this, get, that the get world serious has... serious
1: about addressing our destruction of nature,
4: you know, <laughs> No, no, it up. no, no. We've really doubled down on, like, <laughs> no. let's, let's do this thing. Yeah. Um, let's pave it over. No. Yeah. Um, I mean, what, what the thing I'm kind of fascinated by at the moment is that, amazingly, the world has no global targets on biodiversity um now there'd be outrage if it was the same on climate change yet no one seems to even know let alone sort of care about this um this is obviously despite the fact that we're amidst what some conservationists and biologists call, you know describe as a sort of six extinction you know to give you one example um the african forest elephant last year was elevated to critically endangered that's the last step before extinction you know the numbers were down like nearly 90 percent in three decades So, you know, it's ongoing and yet we don't have a plan in place. And that's largely because of COVID. That's like, you know, there's the big UN Biodiversity Summit, which has been delayed three times now. It now looks like officially it's happening in April in Qingming uh, in China. And uh, but now it looks like it might be delayed a fourth time, quite possibly. There's negotiations due this month in Geneva. They've already been postponed indefinitely because of Omicron. So whether this summit actually that I'm looking forward to actually happens is, is, is a question mark. But I guess what some of the things they're hoping to achieve there are like an, a new target on how much land and ocean we protect by the end of the decade. The sort of ecological integrity of those areas, what we do about the agricultural subsidies that are driving much of the problem. And I, I've been speaking to people about one thing that apart from COVID being a problem is another problem has been sort of a, a perceived lack of leadership from China. So, you know, as the host of these summits, as the UK was with COP26 for, in Glasgow, um, as the host, you've sort of got to show direction to the rest of the world on what you want the priority to be. And I was talking to Partha Dasgupta, who's at um, you know, the University of Cambridge, who's did this big review for the UK government on biodiversity. And he said he's just seen no sign or signal of, of what China wants. Hmm. So um, hopefully, so I'm hoping that China gets serious on it and that it actually happens. On, yeah. And that's, um, yeah, so that's, uh, I think that's pretty important. Yeah, massively. It,
5: it, it's important, not least for climate change, right? And one of the things in COP26 was there was no mention of nature-based solutions in the final communique.
4: Yeah, so nature-based solutions got cut out of the uh, final agreement at, at COP26. And also the other thing is, is, interestingly, sort of linking back to what Penny was talking about, this is, you know, the interesting thing about the sort of post-2030 framework on biodiversity, as it's called, it barely acknowledges COVID happened. It's as if it, it's as if the pandemic never happened, so that, you know, there's nothing about the links between the degradation of habitats and the risks of disease spillover. So I think it would be disappointing if that didn't sort of come up the agenda as well.
6: I think on the issue of um, issue of Chinese leadership, one thing that has happened is that China has now announced a network of five enormous national parks, which it never had before, which kind of went under the radar screen a little bit. So that was just at the end of the first session of the biodiversity conference in, in October. So there, there are signs, I think, of China kind of grabbing the bull by the horns.
4: What's well, this is the funny thing. It's potentially a great showcase for China to show what they have been doing domestically. It's just that I don't think they've been clear about what they want the international agenda to be. Yeah.
1: OK, great. Look, um, what about your cultural? Tip? Oh, my
4: cu- My cultural one. Um, so it's got a teeny bit of science in it. <laughs> it's, um, it's, it's Kate Atkinson. Um, at her novel Life After Life is being uh, is being televised and is going to be on the BBC sometime this year. They don't have a a scheduled date yet, Uh, but she's one of my sort of favorite contemporary novelists. She just writes beautiful prose, and she can do great plot-driven stuff. If you've read any of the Jackson Brodie detective books, and the premise of Life After Life is what would happen if you lived your life again and again to sort of get it right, as it were. Um, And it sort of hooks you from the opening pages, where like I'm not this is not a spoiler because it's literally the opening pages, where in the first few pages the protagonist dies with a cord wrapped around her neck as a baby because the doctor can't get to the birth due to a snowstorm and it's sort of you know it just gets better it just goes you know it's such a great start and it just gets better and it's just a really great on how fragile life is but it's also really good on how I think you know we're all fascinated by the way life walks down different trees and the paths we didn't take and the sort of sliding doors thing and yeah I think, we're, multiverse. I think yeah and we're exactly exactly and we're all quite attracted to you know these theories in quantum physics that there might be parallel universes so yeah I'm really looking forward to that and yeah, I'm just really interested in how, whether they can make it for TV. Yeah. Know, because it's such a complex story.
1: Yeah, I love that book as well. Um, so I'm really um, looking forward to that as well. Okay, thanks, Adam Graham. Um, what uh, What's your science thing for this year?
6: Yeah, I'm also going to talk about something we're looking to rather than looking forward to, which is yet another COP. We've just done with COP26 in Glasgow. This is the mm. Climate Talks and there's another one looming on the horizon COP27 in Egypt in November. Now, this is nothing new. There have been annual COPs every year, but the big ones used to happen only every few years at Copenhagen, Paris, Glasgow. But, you know, as the climate crisis escalates, every COP is going to feel like a real biggie, uh, especially because Glasgow didn't quite get us where we need to go to get to the Paris Agreement. And so to Egypt in November, this will be the first test, really, of a breakthrough at COP26, where countries are under pressure to ratchet up their plans for hitting the climate targets every year rather than every five years. Now, they right. don't have to do this. In The wording of the Glasgow Agreement is to urge rather than mandate countries to do it. So it's going to be really interesting to see what countries bring to the table in November. And of course, there's another major event between now and then, which is the US midterms, which might hand control of Congress back to the Republicans. Mm. And that's probably going to throw all sorts of spanners into the works and i'm not going to say who the spanners are but you get my drift yeah <laughs> anyway yeah that's something that we need to keep an eye on it's kind of like behind the sofa hands over the eyes kind of moment so the science as we always say about this is largely settled it's about what the politics can do now yeah
1: um and what about cultural things to uh, try and get us away from this Sort of yeah, horror. so this
6: is really exciting. I, this is the the British Museum uh, in February is opening a great big new exhibition called The World of Stonehenge. Now, I'm going to channel my kind of inner Nigel Tufnell at this point and say about Stonehenge. You, Rowan, told me I had to talk about this. If you don't know what I'm talking about, just Google Spinal Tap and Stonehenge. And as, uh, as Tufnell says at the beginning of that song, no one knew who they were or what they was doing. Now, that was probably true in 1984 when Spinal Tap came out, but no longer actually. We know so much more about Stonehenge now itself, about the monument, about the people who built it, about its wider connections to the Neolithic civilizations across Britain, Ireland and continental Europe. And that ex- this exhibition promised to bring that, all that new knowledge together and I'm super excited about this. I mean, I don't think Stonehenge needs much of an introduction, but it's yeah. such a brilliant monument, such an amazing story. And, you know, I'm going to be kind of camping outside to get the first tickets. Yeah. A bit like a... a bit Like, like a, a druid. Like a, dressed as a druid. Yeah. Dressed as Nigel Tufnall from Spinal Tap, I guess. <laughs> kind of have
1: the same look, don't they? Um, <laughs> yeah. Time out. Time to tell you about special offer available at the New Scientist Academy. With over 6000 active learners, our academy is an education platform for you to get even more involved with the subjects you're most passionate about. We've launched courses covering subjects like human brain, consciousness, genetics, evolution, greener living, and everyday quantum physics. Be one of the first to join our newest course, The Science of Your Well-being. Find out how to hack your habits and become a healthier and happier you by examining the concept of wellness under a scientific lens. New Scientist Academy has an offer especially for podcast listeners. Use the code POD40 to book any course at 40% off. New Scientist Academy, science courses for everyone. Go to newscientist.com courses to find out more.
0: Millions of people have lost weight with personalised plans from Noom. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com.
1: Tiffany, what's, uh, what's your thing for the year?
3: Well, just to echo what Penny was saying, I'm looking forward to us um, hopefully getting better at managing COVID with new treatments being more widely used and so on. But um, the other sort of scientific thing I'm looking forward to is not necessarily new. There was a study launched back in 2016. It's called the Wisdom Trial. And the point of it is to shed some more light on the best screening techniques for breast cancer. So something that I've covered a lot personally as a reporter is um, early stage cancer screening and how it's Quite a blunt tool. Uh, it's been fantastic. It's made a huge difference in survival rates for cancers. You know, since these um, you know large-scale mammography programs were introduced, uh, starting around the 1980s, we've made real inroads in in survivorship. But um, it is still a pretty blunt tool. And if you identify really, really early-stage cancers, you can't really know which ones are going to go on to be really dangerous and which ones maybe never would have caused any problems. So you end up kind of aggressively treating everything. And obviously that's problematic for for many reasons. So this really large scale trial um, that's led by Dr. Laura Esserman, uh, she's a breast cancer specialist out of University of California, San Francisco, and we've written about her on our pages before. She's trying to recruit 100,000 participants um, to be randomized into two two different groups: one that co- follows the current standard of breast cancer screening, and another that does a more personalized approach that takes your individual risk factors into account and tries to tailor a screening regimen accordingly. Um, so I'm excited because. In the coming weeks, I'm going to be moving back to the U.S. after having lived in the U.K. for 11 years. Wow. And- oh, yeah. Yeah. Culture shock. <laughs> some, uh, there's a, some exciting developments in the works for a new scientist to do with that. So talk more about that later. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, as a, as a U.S. resident, again, I will be eligible to participate in this trial. So I'm looking forward to signing up for that and hopefully shedding some much needed light on this really difficult question. And what are you looking forward to culturally this year? I'm looking forward to, here's, you know, seeing if I actually have time to read these books because <laughs> with uh, a couple maniac boys running around, I don't do as much reading as I would like. But uh, there's two books in particular I'm looking forward to coming out. One is the novel by uh, Jennifer Smith called The Unsinkable Greta James. And that's out in March, I think. And it's set on a cruise ship, which is kind of funny in light of, how things started a couple yeah. of years ago, um, yeah. but I think it kind of predates the, the pandemic and um, it's cruising up through Alaska and a bit of soul searching and uh, a love story on this, on this boat. I'm really looking forward to that. She's a beautiful writer and I think it's gonna be fantastic. And then the other book I'm also looking forward to is our very own Cat Delange's new book out this week. Um, it's called Brain Power, everything you need to know for a healthy, happy brain. I am in awe of how Kat managed to fit in writing this on top yeah. of everything else. But uh, that's out this weekend. it's going to be jam packed full of what we call news you can use about how to look after your brain. And uh, and Kat's actually going to be giving a, a talk about it uh, on the 3rd of February as well. So you can hear it straight from her too.
1: And now, Richard, let's let's go to you. Um, what's he, What's your thing for the coming year?
5: well i guess i'm here as a token physicist so i shall talk some (laughs) token physics um 2022 is shaping up to be a big year for for big physics if that sort of thing floats your boat there's the lhc which has been dormant since the end of 2018 undergoing a second big big upgrade should come roaring back in may looking for dark matter particles and all the other goodies that might be out there then to mark your card for later in the year, gravitational waves will be back on the agenda. There's three detectors, LIGO in the US, Virgo in Italy and KAGRA in Japan. Now they're hooking up from December to make a detector the size of the, of the planet to provide unprecedented sensitivity to ripples in space time given out by merging black holes and neutron stars. But undoubtedly, the big newcomer, and I feel a sense of jeopardy as I say this, because it hasn't yet blasted off as we record this. That's the James Webb Space Telescope, the massive infrared telescope that is due to blast off on the 22nd of December. And it's uh, the successor to Hubble, but it's going to be um, far more powerful than Hubble. And it's going further from Earth than Hubble to one of the Lagrange points where gravity cancels out between Earth and the sun. And it's going to be able to see far enough and acutely enough to see what the universe looked like around 100 to 250 million years after the Big Bang. This is the so-called dark ages of the universe when the first stars and galaxies started to form. There's so much we don't know about that, about about how heavy elements formed, about how galaxies formed the interactions between black holes and galaxies. But it's going to look closer to home too. It's going to be able to study nearby exoplanets and their atmospheres and also objects within our, in our solar system, such as Mars and the gas giants. Even perhaps look for that elusive planet X that we think mm-hmm. is lurking out there in the outer recesses of the solar system. Yeah. So an awful lot to look forward to there, yeah. if it blasts off, as we well, hope.
1: Yeah. And oh God, I can't wait for this because we've been reporting on James Webb for so many years now. It's going to be amazing to finally get it up there. What about your cultural things, Richard? Uh, well, like Penny and Tiff, I'm a
5: kind of cultural desert due to external <laughs> reasons. But I'm a big fan of international years. What is it, Well, it is, um, among other things, the International Year of Glass, um, which I think is <laughs> an interesting one. It's one of those, It's yeah. you laugh at first, but then you think glass is hugely culturally significant and also... As well as being a material of the past and material of the future as well. Because it I thought is... that was wood. <laughs> <laughs> Graham is our wood man here. Every, Graham, year is, I...
6: every year is International Year of Wood, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs>
5: yeah. uh, Graham, you'd be also interested to know that 2022 is the year of artisanal fisheries.
6: Ah, yes. Another one of my passions. <laughs> <laughs>
5: Mind you, I don't know how much international years actually signify because you may have missed that. Uh, 2021 was uh, the International Year of Fruits and Vegetables (laughs) and also the International Year of Peace and Trust. We didn't Uh have so much of that.
1: Yes. Well, look, what a lot we've gone through today. Uh, That's brilliant. Thank you, everyone. Uh, So... We'll be back uh, with normal news weekly service uh, resuming next week. But look, let's just say thanks to all our panellists, Tiffany O'Callaghan, Adam Vaughan, Richard Webb, Graham Lawton, uh, Penny as well. Thank you. And everyone, Happy New Year. Do listen and subscribe to our podcast every week and
4: we'll see you next week. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Oh, Richard Richard, I love you for doing Year in the Class I've got nothing else to say (laughs) This podcast is produced by OG Podcasts Find out more at ogpodcasts.co.uk ACAST powers the world's best podcasts Here's a show that we recommend
3: Hi, I'm Jessie Cruikshank. Jessie Crookshank I host the number one comedy podcast called Phone a Friend. Girl.